0: Another season in the bag, Clay. Enterprise season one, knocked out. Powerful performance by us, if I do so so myself to get to this point. I think so. Yeah, well, it's. it's <laughs> <laughs> what um, we'll probably do a uh, a wrap up video at some point uh, or in the next few days, I guess, just to do as uh, we normally do to sort of wrap up and recap the entire season. Uh, it's always easy in the first season because you remember stuff. But do you have any sort of takeaways <laughs> of Enterprise's first season here that you want to say think,
1: initially? I think you're really overestimating my ability to remember stuff at this
0: point. Uh, <laughs> the first one's always easy because you can't you can't confuse yourself with previous True. seasons. Um, yeah,
1: I mean, if you can, if you just give me the lead into whatever we're talking about, I can be like, oh, right, that one. But I'm not going to be able to be like, episode five was where things really took a turn.
0: Took really peaked in episode seven, I think. That was personally where everything came together um yeah we'll do that we'll do mostly in the recap i mean did you uh did you feel that shockwave was an appropriate way for this first season to end i guess that's a better way to tie it into this sort of relevance to this episode thing before we get into it just a sort of general sense of whether or not it worked for you
1: i i don't know honestly um i'm kind of conflicted about this episode because i feel like um i don't i don't know if it to if it totally worked for me uh i i didn't hate it um but i i mean i guess it's kind of par for the course with everything else where it's sort of like competently made and the middle is kind of boring uh, and it ends up having something to have involving an overarching plot that I couldn't care less about. So
0: <laughs> <laughs> it covers it covers all the bases for Enterprise. Yeah. Let's um, let's take a break. We'll play a clip from Shockwave, and then we'll come back, and we'll break down the very final episode of the first season of Star Trek Enterprise.
2: You finished the diagnostics? I've analyzed six of the pod sensor logs. I have two left. We'll get them done. you have had three hours. What about the Enterprise sensor logs? They must have recorded how much tetrazine was in the atmosphere. Was the concentration greater than the paragon specified? Was it present at higher altitudes than it was supposed to be? That's the weird part, sir. The tetrazine levels were less than three parts per million. That's half what the protocol specified.
0: All right, so Shockwave is the 26th episode of the first season of Star Trek Enterprise. It aired on May twenty-second, two 2002. It is the first of the two arc episode the the first of the the two episodes in the shockwave arc as we're going to get to part two next uh, next season it is five of 13 for the temporal cold war arc written by Rick Berman and Brennan Braga directed by Alan Croker and University is February 2152 and the 8th of April 2151 and then circa 3052 at the very end I feel
1: I feel like if if the temporal cold war was a baseball player they would be hitting about five for 13 at this point
0: yeah that's actually not that bad for a, for, for a baseball yeah. player. Yeah, that's, <laughs> <laughs> that's a pretty solid, uh, solid uh, at-bat. In this episode, after apparently causing the destruction of an alien <clears> colony, <throat> the Enterprise is called back to Earth. Archer learns via Daniels that the they are trying to sabotage Enterprise's mission. First things first, I think this is a great example of why Enterprise does cold opens so strangely, where mm. I think every other Star Trek show would have had the explosion shockwave and then a character would have said Archer would go what the hell just happened and then Hoshi or someone would say the colony's gone all dead. everyone's yeah. dead and then it cuts yeah. to the the credits enterprise does this strange thing where it cuts short it's cold opens and it's just the explosion that you see and the the shuttle gets mm. like rocked or whatever and it's I, I think I I think I would like almost objectively say it's better to leave that little bit of the they're all dead kind of before you cut to it instead of just random explosion and the ship falls, you know, off course or whatever. But that's a very minor point. But it's something that Enterprise consistently does with its cold opens, I think.
1: Yeah, it's really, I, I find their cold openings fascinating because they're not hooks and they should be hooks. Like yep. I, an expl. I guess you could argue, well, the sh- explosion, that's something. It's like, oh, sure. But it's like.
0: Happens every week. I don't, I don't There's know. always an explosion. Yeah. It,
1: it's like it's like it's like a, the equivalent of like the check engine light going on in your car or something right. where it's like, oh well yeah, it could be something, but might as well just keep driving. <laughs> um you What's know, the worst I don't think it happens. Yeah, it's uh it's a stylistic choice that I don't understand why they did it because it's not benefiting or changing the show or making it more unique. I mean I guess it's making it more unique, but it's not I don't see it as a, a, a benefit.
0: Yeah, this one just stuck out to me just because, right after that, you come back to the conversation of they're all dead, and it's just mm. it, it feels it just feels like a strange place to to clip it right there. A lot of them are um, sort of slice of lifey little vignettes that they put on that are not really attached to anything, or they just mm-hmm. do the the bare minimum of setting the course. Like there's a lot of uh, enterprise cold opens that are them talking to like a trader or something who has information and he tells them to go visit some planets. And then when the episode comes in after the credits, they're visiting the planet. So it's, it's this sort of like very weak setup to things. And I think shockwave is somewhat effective, um, in its, in its introduction, at least it has the very, uh, star trek intro of like a matriarchal society what the hell could that all be about
1: yeah i as as soon as i heard that i was like up here we go
0: (laughs) (laughs) buckle in but at the same time
1: didn't quite uh didn't get there
0: unfortunately i think shockwave is actually probably one of the top three episodes of the season in a lot of ways uh shockwave to me feels very much like it's a bookend to broken bow at the start Mm -hmm. like down to how the episodes are almost similarly structured to each other where there's this action sequence towards the end that you're like, okay, like fine. I think this one's a little bit better than broken bow, but it did. If you ignore everything, the 24 episodes in between broken bow and this one, Mm -hmm. it does feel like they logically connect to each other and that this is the end result of what the broken bow mission started out to be. You know, like I do think it succeeds in that way that it, um, Archer comes to a horrible catastrophe that makes the entire Starfleet wonder if they're ready to do this kind of thing at this point. Mm-hmm. That works with the the sort of naivete of Broken Bow where they're like, we can do anything. Let's go out and see. And while we've argued that the Enterprise episodes in the middle there have kind of shown Archer and the Enterprise to not really be ready to go out there, Archer's never had to confront that, really. It just kind of like they, right. they realize that they made a mistake and then they resolve it. Here shockwave and I'll throw it to you shockwave to me feels like at the end of the season, the writers saw all the missteps they had made and they kind of wrote an episode in the mold of what they were doing that reconciles or at least, um, brings to light the fact that they recognize that there are these issues in enterprise. And they kind of, they write an episode that feels like it's a, um, clarification or a like resetting of the plot as to what this Mm -hmm. show should be at this point. And at least the first half of shockwave succeeds for me because of that. (laughs)
1: Yeah, I really like the first half of it. Um, I I, uh, <clears throat> I found the concept of them dealing with possibly accidentally destroying an entire civilization really uh, intriguing. Yeah. Especially for them as the first mission out from Earth. And this is the first real, you know, capital C catastrophe that they've dealt with. Um that they at least to a point thought that they were responsible for i i really i really like that stuff um it it falls apart for me i just i don't know it's maybe it's a personal thing i just don't care about the temporal cold war it's mm-hmm. just i and i i feel like they are not really they they're not really making any distinction as to how it works or kind of what the rules are but they keep throwing out these things that are feel like you're opening a huge can of worms as far as time travel goes where like they're going they have this conversation with uh um uh archer and reed uh where reed says something like well how come how come they haven't followed or they don't know that we didn't do this and then archer says well it's because it's not written yet and i was like oh jesus christ that's just <laughs> that that's that's just i don't know i that just makes my eyes instantly go cross time travel wise when he starts saying that stuff Um, but there's stuff about it that I do like, uh, I do. I mean, I don't know if they're going to go this way, but I really like the idea that now Malcolm Reed knows that there is a USB drive in this guy, this dead guy's room that has future schematics on all of these weapons that their enemies might have. Yep. And whether or not he feels tempted to exploit that or or whatnot, that's kind of interesting. Future Even ships, the Defiant is one yeah. of the images and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. is it really? Yeah. I was wondering if uh, I was wondering if there were future ships in there, but I, I I didn't see any I recognized. But I must have missed the Defiant. I was I was looking for something like the Enterprise D. or Yeah, something that, yeah, that by. probably
0: would have been too. Uh, I think it's like the Defiant, and then there's like a uh, Excelsior class or something. There's, there's some sort of class that's generically just known to be a future. Oh, sure' the okay. ship. Yeah.
1: But yeah, you know, like I—not that they even really hinted that that's going to happen—but I, I, in in the Malcolm Reed in my head that I want that want him to be, it's it's a it's a possible plot
2: thread.
0: <laughs> um, it's a pretty lame. It's a pretty lame. Um, they did once they locked up Daniel's quarters in the end of Cold Front. They apparently mm. just didn't do anything with his room. They didn't go in and be no, like, it's not no. like this thing is hidden in some kind of, you know, crazy way. They just go into his like gym bag and pull out this device that's from the future and they play it and do everything. But it's so they they haven't gone into the room, I guess. So they haven't done any kind of search right. of what was in there. They just decided that they wanted to lock it up. I mean, I I thought that this is the best Cold War temporal Cold War episode so far because I well, I don't yeah. think that they think that they really explain things. I liked the even though Archer going back in time to that point doesn't amount to anything, I kind of like the mm. sequence of him going back in time to that day. I a hundred
1: percent. Like, I completely forgot about the Cold War thing for a second, and I was like, "Is this gonna? This has gotta be Q. This is what Q does, right? Yeah. This sir. is the kind of shit Q pulls. Uh, and this is the season finale. I could see them dropping Q on you in the last episode. At you know, that's the kind of end of season Hail Mary kind of thing. Um. Yeah, you know, I I didn't mind that scene, and I you know I was thinking about it afterwards. I was like, why that? Why did they do that? Why did they send him back ten months? And I guess it was to so the day before Archer's, Enterprise
0: launches. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. I guess it was for Archer's benefit as a way to prove that the existence of time travel or something. I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's it's just an odd choice, but I guess I guess if you're looking at it in the
0: you mean that Daniels – Daniels had no reason to specifically send him back to that day because it doesn't – he could send him back to like the dinosaurs era and talk to him. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. Or, I mean, I don't I – guess, I guess my thought is – Or is that a only rule reason... in this time
0: travel that Archer – sorry, is that is that a rule that they, – because they have a conversation about Archer uh, – he's like, where's Archer of the future? And he's like, he doesn't mm-hmm. exist yet. He's like, well, where's Archer of the past? He says, you're Archer of the past. So – I guess one of the rules that time travel is establishing in Enterprise is that you can't go back to a place where you don't exist. Although that doesn't seem to exist well, in Daniels' case, does it? So maybe not. No. Maybe that's not even the point.
1: And also, he gets jerked into the 31st century, so he's right. not going to exist there.
0: Yep, yep. But I, yeah, I mean... Uh, I'm um, trying. I'm flailing. <laughs> I wanted, I yeah, wanted no, some reason
1: for that to be the reason. I, I, f- I feel like it's thematically makes sense even though they don't really put a point on it but it i guess if the whole point of this episode is 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 questioning this mission and blah 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 so it makes thematic sense that they would take them back take him back to to 10 month like right before the mission starts yeah to broken bow, i guess basically. my yeah i guess i guess my question is why do they need to do why does he need to take him back at all the, is is the reason they do that in order to try and prove that time travel exists as opposed to just having Daniels show up
0: on the Enterprise. On the
1: Enterprise or something. Because I mean there's <laughs> there's unless there's rules as to where Daniels can and can't appear, where well, right. it's like, Well, I had to send you back ten months because I've 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 been outside your apartment waiting for the right point so I can walk into you. You know what I mean? Well, it would like make I more you sense. can't just appear on the Enterprise.
0: I know I know it doesn't make any sense, but you could almost see it happening because if Daniels is truly dead in Archer's timeline, which they don't really mm-hmm. explain how he survived what happened to him. You can make an argument that maybe he can't exist in that timeline anymore because he's deceased, so he has to bring him back to the well, past.
1: I assumed, I assumed the art, the the Daniels that we saw die is the end of his timeline. So oh, the I end see. of Daniels' timeline. So the stuff that he's doing with Archer uh, takes place before the stu- the the element. For Daniels takes place before the point that he dies on Enterprise. Then how, but but, how
0: can he be in the future at that point? Exactly. I yeah. was just going to say that. Yeah.
1: That's, I mean, unless, that's, that's I mean, interesting. well, I mean, technically, I guess he could if the Daniels from the future is still the Daniels who ends up going back to Enterprise to ultimately get killed.
0: Yeah. But it's, it's a, it's apparently to him a new timeline <clears> at the end. It's not the, it's not the cliff right, that he's. Yes would expect if it was the, if it was the future that Daniels knew you could make that argument. I think that this is Daniels of the future who has not yet gone back Mm -hmm. in time to meet Archer or whatever. Um, Mm -hmm. that's very confusing, confusing. And I'm, I'm certain they're not going to go down that path of like how the time travel works in this. So instead they, they kind of just shake it off. And Daniels just, I I assume it is just a thematic thing of like, we're going to go back to the beginning of broken bow because this whole shockwave episode is a commentary on the, how the mission has gone to this point, which is bad. Mm -hmm. Um, I I both like and dislike it because I like the fact that it it's truly feels like it's, it's the first episode where Archer has to think about what he's done and whether or not there are ramifications of the mission being called off and he's kind of moping around in his bed and T'Pol's insulting mm-hmm. him and stuff like that. Um, surprisingly at- few – sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off.
1: I was going to say surprisingly few scenes with him vocalizing that though. He does a lot of kind of – Moping.
0: He does a lot of moping, but, looking out the window, laying in bed. He's yeah. got a couple. He's got the one where he yells a trip into Paul and tells him to get the fuck out of his room. And then he, true. he's yeah. laying in bed in the next one, and Paul talks to him. I, I think that the, the, the really unsatisfactory part to me here is that Archer doesn't solve anything of this. Daniels just gives him literally right. all the information yes. that he needs to do. And so that snaps yeah. Archer out of it. So you don't have this nice character growth of Archer. You know, it kind of undercuts it because the, the catastrophe was not really their fault. The, like that mm-hmm. story only really means something, and it only means something in the cumulative, uh, the, like the culmination of all the stories that we've seen in the first season to this point, where Archer is starting to, to realize that his actions have ramifications, and because they undercut that and they don't allow Archer to have caused this disaster, because that's not the way that this plot is going to work out, it all of his moping is for naught. He doesn't have to think about what he did because he didn't do anything wrong. And as Reed tells tells us 17 times during this episode, the plasma doors were shut. The plasma vents were shut. Like, this couldn't have happened. And so all of that sort of, like, self-reflection falls by the wayside, and then it just turns into what I assume you don't really like about it, which is just the temporal Cold War stuff at that point.
1: Yeah, you know... Even the, honestly, the the part that I that really kind of took me out of it was um, they do this that storytelling device where Archer gets the solution told to him, and then they go through the the motions of putting it into play with with the audience having no information as to what they're doing until they do it. right? And I find that kind of a cop-out and a little bit, I don't know, I just don't find it very satisfying because then you're watching, the the idea is that you're watching them do all this technical stuff that they're not explaining, Um, they're just talking about it and you've got the other characters going like, well, I don't know what this is, but if you say this is the thing to do, this is the thing to do and ultimately just for the payoff of oh so they built a scanner that
0: could tell where the <laughs> right. you know I, yeah. I i don't know it's it's i, I thought the weakest I, the weakest part of that was uh they actually draw attention to it through the the trip and archer scene where archer is explaining what trip <clears throat> needs to do to f- either find the ships or something or juice mm-hmm. up the engines and trip is like i don't know what kind of I, I can't even understand what kind of quantum mechanics you're talking about like how do you know to do this and archer's like Remember that time traveler Daniels from the future who died? <laughs> and Trip's like, "Yeah." Archer's like, "I talked to him, and he told me what to do." And Trip, and he's like, "But don't—I don't have time to tell you what we're doing. <laughs> just yeah. go back to it." And Trip just goes, "Oh, okay." Trip has no reaction to Archer meeting the time traveler again who died, and he doesn't have any questions. He's like, "Oh, sure. Like you met him again. That makes a lot of sense. Just tell me what to do then." So it's a very strange yeah, sequence. That scene is 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 kind of.
1: Uh, one of those scenes that I don't like, where where it's just uh, techno babble for the sake of techno babble, because I feel like you could get a scene out of that where it's like the Archer talks about all this quantum mechanics stuff, and then Trip is like, "Well, how do you know that?" And is like, "Oh yeah, this uh, t- dead time traveler told me." And then they kind of like have a scene based on that instead of it just being a lead into more talking about mechanics and you know putting pieces together and stuff. Yeah. I don't
0: know. Well, I mean, I I think that that scene kind of hints at. I, I would argue it's not very effective, but it's it's designed to show you that Archer has been told something from Daniels mm. without Archer just coming out and saying it. Um, well, that's that's the other thing. Like, I I, I don't. I just don't know don't why know. he doesn't tell Trip. Like, if Trip is yeah. asking about it, there's no reason that it's only because he doesn't want to tell the audience what's going on that he doesn't explain right. to Trip what the problem right. is. Right. That's what I don't like is when you've got the scene with him and Daniels,
1: and he's like, Well, what am I supposed to do about it? And Daniels is like, Sit down, and I'll tell you everything. Hard cut to Archer now knowing everything, but the audience knowing nothing. And Archer is now trying, is like explaining this techno stuff to Trip who he's also not telling anything uh, and the rest of the crew who he's also not telling anything because he can't tell the audience anything because the audience needs to for some reason not be in the know about what's going on because that would bring up too many questions I guess Yeah. Uh, but it's just I don't know I just don't like it when, when stories and shows do that where it's where the characters get this information off screen and then we spend the next 10 minutes watching them implement this information in a way that is is ultimately i don't know it's not really that great of a pay i don't i don't feel like there's a benefit to withholding it let's put it that way yeah because your options there are because like what's what's more interesting the uh watching archer uh what watching the the crew members of the enterprise blindly follow these directions from a possible future schematic or them actually knowing what's going on and that becoming part of the the discussion and narrative drama of the scene. Yes, you know they get a little. You get a little bit with with Reed, but even there, Reed's on board pretty quick. Yeah, where he's like, oh, oh, yeah, of course. There's a don't look at all that ships. Don't look
0: at that. That's yeah. from the future. <laughs> we came here for one reason, Malcolm, and that's to look at this one schematic that's unfortunately buried under these other fifty schematics that we have to look at first. Yeah, I it- mean, you just walked Malcolm Reed
1: into a room full of pineapple. And, say, and you're telling him not to taste them. you know?
0: Is that pineapple juice on your face, Malcolm? I, I think that the... Um, the, the right, so the, I feel that's a consistent enterprise storytelling weakness, really. It's that mm-hmm. they, they have an idea that they want to get from point A to point B. They know they have to kind of do something, but they don't really want to get into a um, thematic or like... Uh, analytical approach to what they're talking about. So what they do is they say, we'll lightly disguise this as a mystery. And that, like, I wouldn't even say this is a mystery. It's just a mystery because the audience is like, well, I have to see where this is going. But it's almost like they have a, you have the sequence where you're like, all right, we're going to spend five minutes on this thing where Archer is telling these guys what to do and they assemble these scanners that are going to be able to allow them to see the Suluban ship. And so no matter what story direction we take, we have to show this sequence. This edit has to happen this way. The problem is if Archer tells them at the start, them building it for five minutes feels like it's a complete waste of time, right? So you make it a little right. bit of a mystery where you're like, well, right. we don't know what we're doing, so it's kind of cool to watch them build something that you don't know what it is. It's not really cool is the problem or it doesn't feel like it really is necessary to do any of that stuff. Um, yeah. Daniels. I do want to talk about Daniels.
1: I still wish I still wish Daniels was Mayweather.
0: It would be so much more interesting. <laughs> Daniels, I don't think there's really any part of the temporal cold war to this point that I would say, like, this is strongly thought out or this seems to be a good mm-hmm. idea. And judging by what I was reading about it, it really seemed like the when they were developing the series, uh, Paramount or UPN or whatever it was like, you have to have some kind of futuristic angle to this, like, we're okay with the prequel, but prequel, but you have to do something so- future,
1: futuristic angle. Uh, you. You guys do know what the concept of Star Trek is, right?
0: (laughs) I know we're in the future now, but if we're in the earliest Star Trek, we need something even more futuristic. So they inserted this temporal Cold War thing. Mm -hmm. Um, The way that Daniels acts and the way that he goes about things makes me, I think is a good indicator of the show itself doesn't know what the temporal Cold War is about. Because I don't think Daniels is portrayed as incompetent in this or at least he's, he's like no one has ever no one has ever accused him of being incompetent he doesn't seem to be incompetent but for a a time traveler from the future who's familiar with how delicate time tampering seems to be he's mm-hmm. constantly amazed that the timeline is altered <laughs> like every time he walks into something he's like i can't believe this happened like how did this he he comes across as incredibly uh, naive as to what he's doing but he, at the same time, he always seems to think that telling Archer what to do will result in the right thing that he's expecting to happen. And these time cops only seem—he always states that his mission is like I can't interfere, but all he does is interfere, and then it's right. never—it's never brought like there's no—I don't even really know what I'm trying to say. So he's he, like he's in his attempts to not interfere and stay true to his job, he constantly interferes, and then is always shell-shocked when something doesn't work out the way that he expected to, and this time leading to his destruction in the uh, three thousand year 3000 or whatever. It's just I don't feel that he has a very solid understanding of what his job or what his role is in this because the series doesn't really know what the temporal Cold War is about at this point, so he mm-hmm. is left floundering, um, only reacting to Archer doing things that he tells him to do and then it doesn't amount to the thing that Daniels wants to happen in the long run.
1: Yeah, I, I... I always get the feeling that Daniels, the knowledge that the writers have of what Daniels is doing or or what his deal is extends no further than the scene he's in.
0: Right. Yeah. He, he seems to have no always, understanding of what his his entire job is to realize that he can't control things. You know, right. like like he it's a it's a kind of contradictory role where these time cops are in control of keeping the timeline the way that it's supposed to be. But at the same time, everything they do alters the timeline going down mm-hmm. the road. So it's just a, a very flimsy philosophical outlook on like what the point of these guys is. I did like
1: the scene at the end though, where he reacts to the destruction of an entire city as though he misplaced his keys. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's like, I, I put them on the counter and I turned away and then I turned back and they're gone. Yeah. It was to like just 10 minutes ago I was having breakfast over here and then I turned around and I turned back and it was just the entire city was destroyed. I don't know what happened.
0: That's almost a more appropriate reaction for him though, right? Like he Sure. He yeah. should maybe be not surprised at all that what has happened in the year 3052 or whatever because he's like ah. Yeah. John, we they, got we got to go back. We got to fix this. This is not right. I,
1: I also feel like to this point, they haven't figured out the mechanics of how their time travel works. No. Because he just... It always happens Archer off just, screen. <laughs> yeah. And Archer just shows up in uh, Daniel's like, apartment or yeah. something. And then Daniel's is like, we can't send you back our time portals are all destroyed. And I'm like, w- hold on. When
0: did you ever have a time portal? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do
1: you have a time portal installed in your living room? <laughs> Is that why
0: he comes directly to your living room? And his, uh, and- his enterprise cabin. He must have had a time portal and th- that his roommate never cared or asked to-, to ask him about.
1: Or there's some sort of like projectional thing going on, like Terminator. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I- obviously, these are questions that don't really matter. But um, it does kind of speak to how it doesn't feel like they've really thought this through.
0: Right. I mean, you, me. if you're going to do, if you're going to do time travel, you just have to, uh, you have to pick one angle of approach for your time mm-hmm. travel story. Like Terminator is very simple. It's like you go back. Uh, the machine is coming back in time to kill you before you can become the good guy that's going to win the war against the machines. It's a very simple understanding. You can, if you wanted to dig into the Terminator timeline, I'm sure you could come up with a whole bunch of plot holes about how, why, like when does the loop start or whatever happens. But you, oh the, yeah, it's a total the, paradox. For yeah. the, for the all intents and purposes of what that is, it's a very understandable thing. Where the Temple mm-hmm. Cold War, we still don't really understand what the Suliban are doing. They refuse to tell us anything about why the Suliban want to do this or why the Enterprise's mission is important or anything like that. And the mechanism of time travel is so confused that. Well, it kind of makes sense that in the 30, uh, year, three thousand like thirty first century or whatever, they he does not have the technology to jump back in time, which is kind of clever. Until you realize we've never seen him do anything with any technology. It just seems to be like he snaps his fingers and that causes Archer to go back in time. So it's it, it's unsatisfying in that way too. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, for as
1: much as of this episode I do enjoy. There is a lot of um, uh, fill in the blank. Uh, not filled in blanks i guess I should say about motivations and how things work like even the the scene with the sulaban guy and the uh noob sabot there the shadowy guy um oh. he like he's like you must you you must capture captain archer and the Sul- i think the sulaban guy's like why yeah <laughs> the dark the, the dark guys like
0: he just must be captured and Yeah. It's
1: like oh okay
0: even the, sure the the, the- the lack of knowing what's going on extends to I think they call him the mysterious humanoid, which is that shadowy guy. But he mm-hmm. he is so bound by limitation, he can't tell his henchmen why the why they're doing things, and so that sends yeah. you down this path of like, why did the Suleibon do anything here? Like the the we're told do the Suleibon are getting some sort of benefit out of this relationship. I just don't see the benefit that the Suleibon are getting. I don't I don't know
1: what the Suleibon are about. Is yeah. the problem. Yeah. I don't know. I, I don't know what they're about. So I don't know what benefit they could be getting
0: from. He doesn't tell them travel. future information. He doesn't tell them yeah. about, like bet on this stock and they're like, OK, right. we're going to bet on the stock because we'll, you, we did this other thing for you.
1: Yeah. I mean, like I I understand the concept of a temporal cold war and I kind of like the concept of a temporal cold war. If you've got these two warring sides from the future this is actually kind of fun i wish they would do this uh the two warring sides from the future who are not going back in time and altering things themselves, they're slipping information to differ, to the two these two sides, which they're making then making decisions, which then changes the timeline in the future. Yeah. So they're not actually like going back and assassinating people or whatever, but they're going back and they tell the Suleiman, "You need to be here at this point so you can do this thing," and and so then they do it, and that makes like some sort of shockwave obviously change to the future it's very much um, like
0: the the real cold war the us and the, the ussr exactly. didn't yes. fight each other actively they right. interfered with third world governments and said like yeah. you do us a favor and you stop the soviets from coming in and you get this out of it it's a good it's yeah. a decent idea for time travel
1: it's it's a it's a cool idea and it also i think it would be the most fun if it was not an exact science so if it was like if it wasn't a calculated thing where it was like well if we move the Sulaban into this section, which stops Enterprise from getting to this point, then that means this change happens in the future. If it was more messy than that, where it's like, if we stop it, we move the Sulaban into, tell them to move into this area, which then stops Enterprise from doing X, then we think this will happen in the future, but we can't obviously honestly say what else is going to happen or what else isn't going to happen. So then, But I think you need to see what the future is in order for that to really work. Uh, unless unless you want to like keep sending, if if you keep sending guys back, and they look different every time to imply that there's been like a <laughs> Daniel has a different like
0: haircut each. <laughs> <if, laughs> yeah, if
1: every time Daniel shows up, like one time he looks like Road Warrior, and then one time he looks like he's from like Forbidden Planet or right. something. Yep. that would be kind of fun. But um, yeah, I don't know. It's you'd I, have it's to know difficult.
0: You'd have to know what the like the real world's Cold War is like. You're either living in a um, Western democracy or you're living in a Soviet-style uh, socialist government. Like mm-hmm. Those are the two outcomes that you're looking forward to or you're potentially seeing as an outcome for the world. Uh, the Temple Cold War, because everyone speaks in riddles and no one wants to tell you what's going on, you just have no... You you don't know... It leads to our confusion in all of these scenes where Archer meets with these guys in Silic, the Suluban and stuff... You don't know who's playing him. You, you, like Archer right. has no idea because Archer doesn't know what the possible outcomes are. So whether or not he trusts Silic or he trusts Daniels, there's no decision making that Archer can make because he doesn't know what they are pushing him to do. He just kind of agrees with whatever Daniels wants to do. And yeah. so I agree that if you saw if you saw the future and you saw that Daniels is like this is the kind of future this is the future the Suleban wants and he shows you some sort of like you know, Judgment Day-esque future, like they do at the end of this one, at least you'd understand why Archer maybe should believe this guy or this is the outcome that he wants to avoid. And then you can start to have fun with the the temporal mechanics of whether or not people are being interfered with and things.
1: Yeah, I almost kind of wish that they had done... I guess this probably makes it a different show, but I kind of wish they had used Daniels' cabin as sort of like uh, a... Uh, sports almanac from back to the future mm-hmm. almost Yeah, where yeah. like there's there's elements in here that they keep going back to that they don't know what they are because they're future elements but then depending on stories they get into there's one thing in the cabin that they're like wait a minute this thing seems to be involved with this which then helps them make it decision. you know that you know yeah. what i mean yep. just to, to to give a little bit more play to this temporal time travel change the future don't change the future thing um, which I think would be uh, a little bit more satisfying. Yeah, because you know if you're gonna if you're gonna introduce something like a temporal cold war, you, you got to go 100 percent with it. otherwise why even bother? Other or why even bother?
0: Yeah, you can't. It's not a storyline you can really half ass because it just comes off no. as inconsistent if you uh, do it half ass. And I, I'd argue that they're, so, they're half assing it.
1: Like uh, okay, temporal cold war in mind, right? Is this did is the in destruction of this colony by the Sulaban an accident or is it, did they do
0: it on purpose? Right. I, I don't know. I, I my think understanding they did it on of purpose.
1: It, well, my understanding of it was it happened by accident while they were putting that tracker on the ship or was the, or was it not a tracker? Was that something that gave off the, the, the spark that I, lit the shit on fire?
0: I thought, well, this is the thing. I thought they did it because they knew that, Starfleet would call off the Enterprise's mission at that point. So, and them trying mm. to stop the Ener- Enterprise from doing whatever it does in the future is them trying to stop the Enterprise by, you know, getting it sort of put into retirement or whatever. That begs the question: Why don't they just blow it up? And why, in that Cold Front ep- episode, did the Silic character stop the Enterprise from exploding? You know what I mean? Like right. so. I I don't know. I don't know if the Enterprise is supposed to be there or if the Suluban want the Enterprise to accomplish one specific thing that they're trying to direct it towards doing. Mm -hmm. It just seems inconsistent. But my understanding was that they did it because they wanted the Enterprise to be put into mothballs as a way to stop it. I see. Okay, because I
1: wasn't sure whether or not that the explosion was on purpose by the Suluban or if if it was a byproduct. Because the way that I was reading it, was when they were attached to the, the ship, to, to the, uh, the shuttle, the shuttle craft, w- their vents or whatever were obviously not closed. So they accidentally blew everything up. But oh, I could be wrong. I, maybe you could. You I, could I, I don't know because I don't I don't feel like they definitively say if that's what happened. What's the point of the tracker they were putting on them? I don't know. I uh, that Maybe I missed that, too. Was the tracker meant to be the thing that caused the
0: explosion or is it just a tracker? Well, Archer found one in his room. Right? Are they just putting trackers <laughs> trackers on everything? there Ar- found thought Archer- one in his room? Well, didn't Reed come in? And he's like, Reed, come to my quarters. And then he has the meeting. And then Reed comes in. And he's like, I found this, caps, and It was invisible, but I scanned it with a scanner and I saw it. That was oh, in Archer's room. I thought, oh,
1: really? I thought
0: he brought Reed in because, again,
1: it's information that happens off screen. So you don't know exactly what he's telling him to do. I thought the idea was that he uh told
0: Malcolm to look for it but maybe you're right maybe it is in the i don't know i remember him saying in his quarters and then they found another one on the shuttle or something so oh there were two of them oh, i, I see, think I there mean, were two of yeah, them i I, I think i could be wrong but that's my understanding of it it's still i don't i don't think they're being clear about what those trackers are are doing mm-hmm. or why an invisible ship needs to track something because you can mm-hmm. just follow it closely because you're invisible um so right i know yeah Yeah. i i I just don't i don't know and it's it's not giving you any answers i think i think a big
1: benefit to this story would be if we knew what the sulaban were after yeah like even if we don't know what the temporal guys the the shady guys are after knowing what the sulaban ultimately want outside of just being lackeys for the future people is would be a huge help because as of right now, it seems like the only thing that they are after is genetic enhancement or something. Right. Yeah. But that's not really <laughs> that's a, that's that's a hell of a drug if that's all it is. No,
0: they're not very um, they can crawl on the ceilings, I guess. But you I, I think they're just not well conceived because I don't get the mm-hmm. I don't get a true physical threat thing from them. Like I'm not like, oh, mm-hmm. like there's a Sulaban loose on the ship. Like who knows what'll happen with this genetically enhanced, you know, Even- xenomorph running around.
1: Even if like in the cold, what's the, the cold front? Is that the episode where they, they do this for the yes. first time? Yes, yeah, cold front. Even if in cold front, like Silic, is that his name? Silic is the Subban, yeah. Yeah. If Silic is, doesn't blow up the Enterprise and then Archer's like, why, why didn't you blow up the Enterprise? And he says something like, because if the enterprise blows up the sulaban will never become lords of the galaxy or some shit you mm-hmm. know like something something to to imply a future goal that they have been told how they can get there by the future people so then from that point on you the you understand the sulaban are trying to knock events in a certain direction in order for a certain outcome to happen yep um, which would also which doesn't have to be the same thing that the the shadowy future people want. Sure. It could just be like, you know, that's what they're getting out of this. Yeah. Is the Suleban are getting... Uh, Their reward supreme is this. Galact- yeah. Yes. Yeah. Their reward is supreme galactic power because they've changed the timeline that will also benefit the future people. Or maybe it doesn't. I don't know. Maybe it's just a lie.
0: Yeah. I mean, maybe the problem with this storyline is that there's so many layers to it that are possible. So, like, imagine if that's the case. It becomes fairly narratively interesting if the Suleban reveal that They are this uh, sort of dangerous species that everyone is very fearful of, and they have these genetic enhancements and whatever, and they have these sort of uh, uh, authoritarian goals or whatever. And Mm -hmm. the way that they want this to happen is that they're like, Jonathan Archer, we need you to stay alive and continue your mission. Archer's in a predicament there where the thing that he's sent out to do and the thing that he wants to do is apparently going to lead to this sort of downfall where the Suluban take over. Mm-hmm. And so he's conflicted about that at that point. And what does that mean? And I, it's, it's another layer you could go with that. I think I'm just saying that like, when something is as broad as this temporal Cold War thing where you have so many parties interested and you don't really know what's going on, it could kind of go in any of those ways. And when they don't go in a consistent way, it all obviously seems very inconsistent at that point. And you mm-hmm. don't know what's important and what's not important to them.
1: Yeah, I wish there was some sort of... Uh I don't remember if Dan maybe Daniels talks about this in the first episode he's in, but I wish there was a little bit more of like a constraint on the abilities of time travel as well. Instead of it's just like, well, they're just showing up out of nowhere, yeah, uh, for any reason when they decide that. Like, I wish there was some sort of
0: it kills you, it drains your life, yeah, your life essence every time. N- you have maybe to do
1: it. maybe it doesn't have to be that, or maybe it's like we we can only we can only go back for fifteen minutes at a time or something. I don't yep. know, something like that.
0: <laughs> yes, it's like um. Yeah, the the making the phone call uh, on the old pay phones where you could call like one eight hundred, leave a message in as quick a time as possible. Otherwise, why don't they just? I mean, obviously it's a
1: it's a Cold War, I guess, but why don't they send back like five guys? Or yeah, do you think I it's know, know, it, do you think it's living up to the Cold War? Up too many questions.
0: Do you think it's because li- I feel that it's far too active to be a Cold War, really? Because Daniels yeah. is just like, do this, Archer. This will be. It, it feels to me much more uh, yeah. like an active I've, war. I feel like Daniel
1: should be more of a Section Thirty One type guy. Yeah, where he's, or maybe not Section Thirty One, maybe more like Deep Throat in uh, the X Files. Yeah, where Daniel shows up and he kind of like nudges Archer in the right direction, but he it's not like Daniel's just shows up and gives him the whole playbook, you know?
0: Right. Well, that that would be the that to me that's the quote unquote I'm using quotation marks here quote unquote Star Trek approach is if you treated this like a Cold War thing. And in inverted the, commas
1: for our friends in,
2: oh, oh, uh, on the other side like, of the pond. Yeah.
0: And if you treated it like a section 31 thing and you treated it like Sloan, where Daniels was played more like Sloan from DS nine, you, to me that, that seems much more of a star Treky outcome where you can have scenes where, uh, Daniels, whole position at this point is to convince Archer of something. It's not about mm-hmm. telling Archer to do something. It's about saying, "Don't you understand? For the good of everything that you are looking for mm-hmm. here, for the good of the universe, you have to do the right thing." In a, in a way that Sloan does. Like it's the kind of like I'm not going to specifically tell you what our plans are, but just know that we have a greater goal in, in mind here as to what you, what is going on. You can either be with us or against us. And Archer having to think about what his actions mean for the future. Which is thematic, rele- thematically relevant to everything that he does in the episodes leading up to this. It's just a little bit more to chew on than Daniels appears and is like, hey, go into my room and grab this right. thing and then send that to here. And then we'll go find the ship and shoot it with phasers. And you can run through the hallways and shoot Zulaban. It, it just, it, there's not a lot of thought in that outcome there. Well,
1: you know what? What I think would have been really, really fun is if, you know, you have the. Uh, uh, the 10 months ago scene with Daniels. Daniels is a little bit more cagey about what's going on, but he's trying, he's telling Archer, he's like, okay, time travel. I'm trying to prove it to you. This is what's going on. X blah, 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 blah. But he's not giving him everything. And then when he gets back to the future or the present, Archer goes, you know, if this guy's a time traveler, he might have some time travel shit from the future in his room.
0: Mm-hmm. So he
1: gets Malcolm, Malcolm, they bust into to Daniels's room and they find this USB drive that has all this future shit on there, and they're like, "Oh my god, we have all of this information about oh we we can't okay, let's just stick to what we're looking for here. Uh, look for a Suliban something something. Then they find that. So basically, Archer, it's it, like it's a Back to the Future Back to the Future Two situation where he finds the almanac and he uses the almanac to to to, to get one thing for himself. Yeah. And then ultimately, what happens is Daniels yanks him to the future. And is like, you idiot! You blew up the entire fucking planet. Right. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, so that way, it's not him telling him exactly what to do. It's Archer still getting the playbook, but he's not supposed to be using the stuff from the the knowledge from the future to do this. Yep. And it ultimately then causes whatever happened in the thirty first century.
0: It's a little bit of a uh, Pandora's box allegory like yeah, if sure. archer, if archer mean, knows yeah. what this is a little bit and he's he's tempted to open it but he's like I, I i just have to know what's in this thing that daniels doesn't want me to open and that yeah. alters the future
1: i mean having that thing the fact the fact that malcolm even in that scene doesn't go like this changes everything <laughs> <laughs> you don- captain we have information on enemy ships from two for for the next two hundred years, yeah, this just changed everything. We could we could we know everything that's going to happen, or maybe it's not that to that point. But we have we now have information that gives us the upper hand in any situation we're going into. And that like that's a huge deal, yeah. Especially for especially for the the uh, I was going to say Earthlings, the humans <laughs> who uh, who are portrayed up to this point as being behind the eight ball or behind the times with everybody else yeah they've now been given or found something that immediately puts them ahead of everybody else yep
0: and they don't even really talk they don't even mention it <laughs> <laughs> don't look at that that's not for yeah. your eyes no it's 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 true it it opens From up that a lot point of questions
1: on, from that point on, every single mission they go on, the first thing they should do is, okay, let's go check the USB drive mm-hmm. in Daniels' room and see if it could help us. Yeah. <laughs> let's go call Spock and ask him who Khan is.
0: <laughs> yeah. No, I know. It's, um, I don't have too much. El- like. Well, I guess before we, we fade away uh, or go to the final section here, fade away, uh, let's, did you think this worked as a season finale slash cliffhanger?
1: Uh, I did. I actually did. Um, Because, you know, uh, these issues I have with it aside, I do think it's actually a pretty solid uh, season ender. Yeah. Um, Because I think the first half is really strong. And if you're on board for the time travel stuff, sure, I guess it's fine. Um, And the ultimate... uh, I did like the, the scene at the end where they discover the sulaban ships following them. Yep. That was that was nice. Um I wasn't thrilled with the jumping him into the future thing, but I guess, you know, if you're work if you've got a cliffhanger, I think it it works well cuz I legitimately my my response was, well, I don't know how the hell they're going to send him back, right. so I guess it works. Yeah. yeah. Um and you've got kind of an inverse best of both worlds thing where now you've got the the bad guys ready to fire on the Enterprise. Um, yeah, I thought it worked pretty well.
0: I like it as a cliffhanger. Um, mm. I think it's pretty effective. I think that it works as a season finale fairly well, um, even if it doesn't sort of uh, accommodate everything that happened since Broken Bow. It at least uh, makes me feel like they're aware of what Archer should be feeling at this point. Um, the The ending is, is strange just because it, it does feel it feels a little derivative at this point like the matrix had happened you know you get you, it's hard to look at a scene mm-hmm. like that and not think of the matrix really with the sort of burnt out buildings and um, mm-hmm. there's been a lot of dystopian stuff like that but the matrix would have been just a year or two before this and then uh, there, just the the background information they were apparently this struck me as odd they they were apparently very intently or uh, intentionally trying to make it seem like a world trade center thing at the end um oh really which feels too soon to do that i think that feels inappropriate um i didn't get that vibe and i i read that after i'd watched the episode
1: you know what's funny i actually um when they were talking about the colony that had been destroyed i think the number of people dead was like 3200 or something like that 3600 and my my first thought was that sounds around the number that died in, yeah. the, in the Trade Center bombings.
0: That's true. I didn't. I didn't think about that, but that's. Yeah. No, that, that, that's um, it's. I guess it's it's less than a year after that. It's that it just seems. Maybe it's intentional. I don't know. How do you feel about that? Is is that like? Uh, is, that, that's a weird.
1: It seems kind of crass. if
0: that's It does. It does doing. seem crass.
1: Just to. Because, like, if that's if that's what they're doing, I feel like you don't do that without trying to make a point about it, right? And the, uh, implied or otherwise, and I don't think they're really doing that because maybe unless the idea of the shock wave is somehow about supposed to be about the actions of the past have led to this uh, catastrophe in the present or the future, rather. I don't know. It's. I think uh, if that's what they're trying to do, it's not really very full throated by
2: them.
0: Yeah. No. I'm not. I'm not crazy about that. I was. I was just surprised that they were said. That they at least claimed that they were intentionally trying to mimic the World Trade Center sites because, like, that's. You know, I think they're still digging that site out at that point. It, it, I know. Does, yeah. it doesn't doesn't feel correct. Um, all right, so let's take a break. We'll play a quote from the episode, and then we'll come back and read some patron thoughts about Shockwave. And then we'll give our final thoughts about the first part of this two-parter and the end of season one of enterprise
2: where is here you're in the 31st century captain and what's left of it you said the sulaban wouldn't follow us that we'd make it safely to the vulcan ship as far as i was told that was exactly what was supposed to occur so you're telling me this just happened it doesn't look like it just happened No, it looks like it happened a long time ago. All
0: right, everybody. Thank you very much for listening. Hope you enjoyed the content today where we talked about Shockwave Part 1. If you want to support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash the Penske file. It's the best way to support the show, and it's much appreciated. You get extra podcasts, you get extra videos, you get behind-the-scenes stuff, you get access to the polls, control our destiny. You can be a temporal Cold War agent and sort of influence the way the things are going to work out for us. And as always, our Captain Tier supporters get a special thank you. Thank you goes to Christian Pouch, Tark Latif, Chris Tinsley, Mike Burnett, Cardinal Doomsday, Joint Mango, Ben Douglas, Neil Brennan, Kyle Barrett, Samuel Custer, Matt Ross, Nathan Elliott, Eric Johnson, Aaron G. Sherlock, Cherlock, Grim Santo, Matt Cutler, Dwayne Hackett, Sean Jordan Cooper, Russell Elledge, Kevin Reyes, Fall 13 Hero, Stephen Minton, David Beardmore, Joth Marsk, HH28, Matt Courier 6, Jacob 123, Matt Houston, Mike Harris, Nick Sergi, Jakey's Gamer, Patrick Seba, Captain Brazen, Kevin Lowry, Eric juan Bradley Killens, Corey Martin, Woodrow, and Rune Vendler. Thanks very much for supporting the show. Much appreciated to everybody. Now let's go to uh, patron thoughts, which again, if you haven't heard, starting with the next episode, we're going to be limiting patron thoughts to five sentences. So this section shall probably be a Iambic little bit quicker. Iambic pentameter only. And uh, we will do our best to sort of... Um, the main impetus of this is that I, I try to stay under an hour of recording time, which we're getting close to now, and also that uh, uh, just to keep the... The segment relative to the main show a little bit more manageable. It was getting a little mm-hmm. bit long in the tooth compared to the other things. Not that the comments are bad, but I just need to be able to, We need to be able to get through them quicker. Matt Ross says possibly one of the best episodes of the season with sci-fi action and mystery. Archer would be racked with guilt, and is understandable why he would be depressed from what he seems to be his fault for the death of thousands. It's also the first time that Archer shows anything more than an "ah shucks gee whiz" attitude. The annoying thing, again, is who the hell are the Vulcans to tell the humans to cancel their entire space program? Who are they? Parents? Get bent. I say accidents happen. If you're making a chemical that will make your atmosphere explode, don't invite flame-powered craft. When you do get the time travely stuff, well, there's more to the temporal Cold War, but it's still not that well-defined or interesting until the last scene. The Suliban just twirl their mustaches, and you have really no new information about the war. Daniel's quick wave of timeline paradoxes is a nice shortcut. When he comes back, how did Archer manage all that techno babble? He memorized everything. You know the Suliban won't destroy Enterprise, and you've seen this type of false cliffhanger on the ship. But that last scene still makes me want to go explore the remains of erect San Francisco and find out just what the heck happened. Is that Matt that left that comment, or the, Donald Rumsfeld? <laughs> Jeez, <laughs>
1: accidents happen; thousands of people die. It's no problem.
0: Truth is, what's that? What's that uh, Cheney thing? Truth is relative, or something like that. Um, a latte librarian That's says
1: relatively accurate.
0: Shockwave part one. Phlox and Tapal are the bright spots in an episode where Archer mopes about two different destroyed planets. Also, Daniel's got a snazzy new suit. Three spaced Sulaban out of five. Um I did Flocks continues to be the best character. I did like his scene with Trip, mm-hmm. where Trip is trying to Trip is trying to get mad at him, and, and Phlox is just like well, everyone's very honorable and doing the best thing here that they can do. It's very true to Flox's yeah. uh, happy go lucky nature. He had he had a good scene with T'Pol too. Yes. What, what, yeah. What's that I, one about? That's about um, she can't understand why he's moping or why Archer's getting all yes. mopey. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I I thought T'Pol was really good in this episode. I like. Uh, I continue to like her quite a bit. This I is think, the
0: way she should be. This is. Yeah. I like the Vulcan. I like her Vulcanness portrayed as. This is not intentionally like, like like semi autistic. Like she just doesn't get what humans are about really, and mm-hmm. I think that they do mm-hmm. this here in a way that makes sense for how a Vulcan would react, where she's like, why is he just moping around? Why doesn't he, like, do something about this? Like, why doesn't he just act more logically and sort of handle this rationally instead of feeling all emotional about it? And I like Phlox as the intermediary between that, where he's the only other alien on the ship, but he gets humans on a level better than T'Pol does, and he can kind of explain it to her. I think it works. It's good for her.
1: Yeah, I think if if I were going to do my season one power rankings, I think... Flox would be number one, and T'Pol would probably be number two as yeah. far as characters go.
0: Yeah, yeah. Who's the best human? Um, best human? I think it's Trip for me. It would go to yeah. T'Pol, Trip, I think would be my order. Probably. Yeah, I, I can't really argue with that, I don't think. Thank you, Latte Librarian. I did read yours. Yes, I did. Uh, Woodrow says, who needs data disks? You've got a sabotage... You know the sabotage device was Suluban because it's green and has scales. The Suluban <laughs> sure are killing a lot of people just to delay human space exploration. They would be totally overpowered if they didn't have to wait for instructions. Daniel's outfit looks like a steel suit from Liberace's Dune. One out of five. I, I, uh, I wonder if that comments... Wow, one? Really? Yeah, I give it a one. Uh, the Damn. Suluban sure are killing a lot of people just to delay human space exploration. Have they, have they said that to that point? I don't know if Woodrow's reading ahead... Uh, not spoiling, but just sort of like acting with an uh, understanding of what comes there. I don't think they've said that in the show. They want to cancel Enterprise. I I guess what I'm saying is I get the sense that the Enterprise is more expense, is more important than the Federation to the Suluban. Mm-hmm. Do you get that sense, or do you think it's that they don't want the Federation to be formed?
1: Yeah, it seems like Enterprise more than anything else. Yeah,
0: that's the sense that I get, that Enterprise and Archer by relationship are somehow important it's kind of yeah. a um it's like the great man theory of history they just know that arch is going to do something if arch is around and yeah. able to do something it's not that it i almost, generally happen. i almost
1: wish it wasn't that i i almost wish it was the federation that they were trying to stop because yeah. that because so it doesn't come down to the uh humans very dis very discovery-esque all of this revolves around you archer you're the key to the entire future of mankind or blah blah, blah, blah well it's
0: blah, also blah. because the the season to this point has been about meeting the Andorians. it's been about meeting the Vulcans. so if the Suliban right. are trying to actively sabotage these new uh friendships that are being made or at least these new mm-hmm. acquaintances that are being met with humans that feels more thematically relevant to enterprise's prequel nature than archer's the chosen one who cannot be allowed to get the the sword out of the stone right or else we're all fucked right yeah uh feels a lot more star trek to do that it too. does yeah that's like a DS9 influence. It's like, Star Trek can do that. Star Trek should, sh- should try to do that, I think. Uh, Neil Brennan says, Shockwave Part 1. Okay, we're zapping Wes and Clay back to May 2002. Vanessa Carlton is riding high in the charts. Trucker hats are all the rage, and Enterprise is just wrapping up Season 1. If we put you guys in the writer's room, what would you be pitching realistically within the constraints of track, etc., for season two? What have you learned from 20 plus episodes so far about the strengths and weaknesses of this cast and concept? I'm thinking small fixes and notes, not go full safe, go full on, not safe for work. So he, he really kneecapped me there with that last sentence. But. <laughs> well, uh, put the dicks back in the pants, boys. <laughs> uh. You can go first if you want.
1: Um, what would I do for season two? Uh,
0: geez, I don't know. It's more, um, what have you, what have you learned about the strengths and the weaknesses of the cast and the concept? Well, I think the strengths are the,
1: the idea that the, uh, human's first exploration into space is not perfect and has repercussions to it, which is what I wish that they would lean into more in the first season. Um, what I don't like about the first season that I would like to change is um, I would I would try to give the characters more personality and have them <clears throat> uh, not at odds with each other, but just have them each bring something unique to the situations instead of just being fairly interchangeable as they are now.
0: The humans are all very um, interchangeable with each other. Yeah, That's why Phlox yeah. and Paul stand out, because they're actually different personalities.
1: Right, right, yeah, but you know, once you've got Mayweather, Mayweather, Trip, Reed, and to some extent, Hoshi are are more or less interchangeable for any episode they're in. Yeah, I'd put Archer. Uh, in I'd put Archer in there. Pretty... Archer doesn't. Act Sorry, that... I, mean, I mean, I I was thinking Archer as being like the 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 one constant in all of these things. Oh, but sure, you're right. yeah. Arch, Archer as well is not. He's not as uh, clearly defined as he could be.
0: I don't think. I would agree about the characters. I think the weakness to this... Work- I would also...
1: Sorry. I would also shit or get off the pot as far as the temporal cold war goes. because You either got <laughs> to lean into it or you just got to like hard reset and get rid of would it.
0: Would you embrace it or would you get rid of it in season two? Say if they're like, after we conclude this in Shockwave part two, we can either mm-hmm. kill the temporal cold war or we can, t- can uh, continue it. What would you rather do?
1: Well, I mean, if it is... If the point of the temporal Cold War is to prevent the Federation from forming, I think it's, I think it's thematically good. I think it's thematically important uh, and is a uh, interesting element uh, uh, of, of the history to try and tell it that way. Um, I, I wouldn't want to overwhelm things with it, but I think I would just when I say shit or get off the pot, I mean, I would just be more clear as to what the stakes are yeah, and be a little bit more clear and, and a little bit more uh, precise as how, how and when it's used.
0: Yeah. I, um, I would generally opt to not continue the Cold War. If mm-hmm. they were to do something where it became clear that it's about stopping the Federation from forming, I would continue it in that context. And I would say that if, if you go into that idea, there's a lot of room... Where that strengthens races like the Andorians and the Vulcans. If there's, if the the point of the Suliban and Daniels to an extent are to highlight and make somewhat effective arguments as to why the Federation ideals don't work in this context, mm-hmm. like why the, it's a, it's kind of a similar to a DS9 thing, but you need you need the. The Suliban and the Daniels characters should be a DS Nine esque force that are kind of pushing back on this idea that this is the way the Federation has to go, and they can mm-hmm. they can do very Cold War things where it feels much more Cold y if they are stirring the pots between the Endorians and the Vulcans. Like if exactly. you find if exactly. you, if yeah. the Endorian and Vulcan war is found out to be the ramifications of what the Cold War people have been doing to them to stop mm-hmm. these groups from getting together. I think that there's room to grow that way, but I'm not interested in this, like, what's this mystery about the time war? Who's this mysterious yeah, man no. telling me mysterious things? That's not very interesting. No, I don't give a shit about
1: that. Yeah, And I mean, I think if it was a Federation thing, that opens up your story possibilities too, and how you could use the this element and the Sulaban themselves. Because I mean, imagine why does it always have to be enterprise specific? What if you get an episode that has the endorians in it and then the endorians are getting kinda of spicy about whatever and then enterprise goes to talk to them and one of their advisors is a Sulaban Yeah. Who has been sent there by the future guys in order to stir some shit up between the Endorians and the humans and the Vulcan. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. You can hit it from different angles instead of just focusing on whether or not Enterprise goes down to uh
0: mom planet or whatever yeah. that thing they were supposed to do was <laughs> the great matriarchy part two. Yeah yeah i i think that unless
1: i mean unless if 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 what happened on that planet ultimately leads to the creation was that angel one was the planet angel <laughs> one because in that case i'm i'm all for it
0: i uh i like that idea and i also think that that redresses the Sulaban as a little bit more of a um they're more of a bond villain crossed with al qaeda at that point mm-hmm. it it's a if the Sulabans thing is we don't we don't endorse your way of life. You run into trouble here where it's it's vaguely reminiscent of the founders of DS9. It's like we don't right, we don't right. we don't exist this way, therefore you shouldn't. Um where the founders are more I don't know. I guess we don't have to discuss that. They, you do run into similarities there, but I do think that Suliban have room to move into a position where they are actively int- because I I don't like them just getting genetic enhancements as a reward. I need, knew, I knew right. like, a better cultural yeah. reason for the exactly. school to be doing things exactly. that they're doing and yes. they they choosing not to do it. That would be the and difference. And it, so.
1: it would also make them a little bit more reminiscent of, like, the TOS version of the Klingons, yeah. Yeah. where it's like you, you're doing something, it's not going right, and then right at the point of highest tension, the door opens and the Klingon steps out, and you're like, ah, it's yeah. the Klingons. Yeah. <laughs> <Damn> of course. I should have thought it was the Klingons. Ah, they were behind the whole thing. <laughs> the Tribble knew. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I'd agree with that. So to recap, I would, I would work on, even if you kept plots the same, the show would be magnitudes better if the characters were more defined. And they were in, the, mm-hmm. in these relatively boring plots, but at least that was like, oh, I, I get what these characters are. So my improvement would be, we have to focus on character episodes. You have to do like personal character episodes much more frequently than you did in this one. I don't think they really did them at all in the first season of Animal Press. And um, strengthen the Cold War arc yeah the two things
1: this you know maybe this is uh um narcissistic of me to say but why stop now um this enterprise is a show where i would love the chance to write this as a comic Mm -hmm. and start from beat one from the pilot yeah and just not scrap everything but using using the pieces given shape it a little bit differently um, not ignore it, obviously, it, it, it's, but just in, in comic form, adapt it in a different way to tell the story differently and kind of strengthen some of these things. Because I, like the, I still feel like the concept is really strong. Yeah, It's just that it's not totally, they didn't totally shake things out.
0: Yeah, yeah, I'd agree. Uh, thank you, Neil. Next question, uh, next comment is Point X G. Time travel has proven that- Wait,
1: that was Neil's comment? We didn't laugh during, during it, did we? Because he apparently doesn't like it when podcast, podcast hosts laugh. <laughs> did
0: did he say that on Twitter or something i might have i might have mm-hmm. missed that uh point X-
1: yeah there you go west just give it to him <laughs> hard like that how you like, oh, that? He how hates you like this. that neil how
0: you he like hates this. how you like me living my life Point XG says time travel has proven that the science the vulcan science t- Uh, directorate, goodness, that's a mouthful, is impossible. We finally see how important this mission is. If something bad happens that ends the mission early, it doesn't just stop Enterprise, it pretty much kills Starfleet. I can't say that anyone would take the colony's destruction easily, but I don't like seeing one starship captain wallowing in self-pity. The rest of the episode is largely set up and is serviceable in that effort. Daniels is vague as usual. Time for part two to see where this goes. This, um... Yeah, that's another comment that's saying that this is about killing Starfleet. I just, I'm... I don't think there's a confirmation in the episode that that's what they do. I, I would like a scene like right. that if that's the case. So, right, yeah. This would be
1: the time to do it too. Yeah. It's because, you know, you've been dancing around this t- temporal Cold War thing for the whole season. Now is the time to establish exactly what's at stake.
0: In that, if that were the case, would you have Daniels just be a representative of. He's already said he's not part of Starfleet, though, right? I don't even remember. I think in Cold Front, he says he's. He's like, I'm from Kansas. And he's like, you're from Earth? And he's like, no, I'm also not in Starfleet. <laughs> so like he, he lays out that the future is supposed to be very different, I think. And I, I don't I think he's a member of Starfleet at this point. I still think
1: there's got to be some sort of crossover that they're doing with season three Discovery, right? It's like the same time
0: period. Here, right? here's, here's a comment that'll that's a very apropos comment. So Kyle okay. says, a perfectly cromulent episode. I could practically hear the... Uh, crumpets falling out of his mouth at that point as he wrote that. <laughs> I was enjoying the drama more than it, when it, uh, more before it connected to the temporal cold war, but it's still enjoyable, albeit confusing, once the Suluban appear and the action is fun. I particularly like that it's DePaul who keeps faith in the ship's mission as a next continuation of our arc. Daniel's at the end has the worst combination of costume and haircut ever seen on Star Trek. It's bad. It is bad. (laughs) And (laughs) and because I'm sure the question will come up, Discovery Season 3 is set in the 32nd century, whereas the far Mm. future we see here is the 31st century. A strong three. I've kept this comment to five sentences like a good little boy out of five. Thank you for that.
1: The key key to getting a long comment in from now on is... uh, Pro level knowledge of how to use commas, mm-hmm. colons, and semicolons.
0: Yes, I am. I am going to punish run on sentences uh, for people who try <laughs> to get away with terrible grammar to extend their comment. Um, he had a comment. He had something. It is a terrible haircut. Terrible outfit. His haircut is so strange. It's like they. Um, you know, like like when black guys go to the barber, they can sort of cut the edge of their hair. Like the hair sort of allows that to happen, where uh, mm. white people can't really do that, or at least they don't. They don't do. I it, didn't, they don't do it to me.
1: I didn't know that. I didn't know this was going to turn into the deaf comedy <laughs> but, hair.
0: but how da, how do how do white guys drive? Daniels us? Daniels has a haircut that looks like they razored up his forehead a good two inches. Yeah. You know, and it's like his yeah. hairline is, is further down. There's no reason why his hair is is all the way up there. It's it's he looks like he looks like Mark Zuckerberg. He does look like Zuckerberg. Does Zuckerberg do that?
1: Is Zuckerberg? I think the real question is: Is Zuckerberg an agent from the future? <laughs> <laughs> well,
0: clearly he came back with futuristic technology that changed our entire world. That's that's a good point. Uh, let's see, Eric Sanjuan says. Two comments left. Enterprise is a pretty lousy first season, doesn't it? It's not that the series is quote-unquote terrible or that there's anything inherently wrong. It's just that the general milieu feels boring and the characters and situations are stuck. All of this contributes to a general sense of Star Trek burnout, which I guess was only natural after a reinvigorated TV franchise that had been spreading through the airwaves of syndication across several series of varying quality for the better part of 15 years. For what it's worth, the series will get better, I promise. It will get so much better that you might actually get a bit depressed about how good it actually is but man oh man we are simply not there yet and i'm afraid it's still a ways hang in there gents thank you for your support captain brazen says it's been a long road getting from there to here wherever here is the first season of enterprise has a strong sense of where it wants to go and what it wants to say. Yet the show doesn't double down on saying anything meaningful or impactful in this episode. The show has heart and yet no pulse to illustrate this further. A few months ago, my best friend made the slightly dumb move of watching enterprise as his first star Trek show ever instead of TNG or TOS. And he was bored by the end of the first season. Wes and clay. I will tell you what I tell you both. What I told him, it does get better. Three faith of the hearts, hoping it gets better out of five. You know,
1: do you think um the they, they talk about this as being a result of Star Trek burnout, and this was in a period of time where Star Trek was popular enough to to merit so much going on?
0: Ener- uh, Enterprise. I guess. Enterprise, you think? I, yeah, well, I would yeah, argue I mean, it's like on the, got... the downside of that.
1: Yes, it is. It definitely was, yes. Uh but like at that time you had TNG was popular, Voyager. I don't know. Deep Space Nine was popular for a while. The movies were doing well to a point. Like it was, it seemed popular enough to to warrant a bu- a bunch of stuff. Mm-hmm. I feel like they're trying to force their way into that now, where you've got Discovery, Picard, Lower Decks, this Nickelodeon show, um, the Academy just seems show like, that's coming out. Yeah, yeah. It seems like they're throwing a lot at you all at once, and it's not like. You know, like, like remember five years ago or so, Doctor Who was, like, the biggest show in the world as far as, like, genre shows go. Yeah. And they never did, like... They did a spin-off, I think, but they never... It wasn't like there were five different Doctor Who-related sh- shows going at the same time. I, I don't know. It's just weird to me that they're... It seems they're really throwing everything at the wall as far as Star Trek goes.
0: It's a balancing act, right, where... I'm never going to say that Star Trek was... Some non-brand IP thing that the studios were aware of that they could use. Obviously, they were like in the '90s. They they had a bunch of spinoffs of TNG. TNG was successful. They made two spinoffs immediately as soon as TNG was about to wrap up, and they ran them concurrently. Uh, Enterprise stuck around a little bit. Um, it feels a little bit different now. The mechanism is different because they have to create so much content for CBS All Access because no one mm. stays subscribed to CBS All Access unless they have sure. Star Trek shows on. Um, at the same time, I would it, it's hard to say whether or not it'll work better or worse because what they're doing now does feel like they're adding some diversity in like what kind of shows they're making mm. out of it. Mm-hmm. So the 90s, all the Star Treks kind of felt the same but you can make an argument that that made it feel more like it was a cohesive universe that was going on. And I think that a lot of the problem with things like Lower Decks, which is just kind of like, I would say a lot of this is just like inane, like get cartoons out of my Star Trek kind of like weirdness right. that people are responding to it. But it is hard to say that a cartoon will ever be able to maintain a sense of cohesive universe with Star Trek. People, sure. and, yeah. and people say yeah. that the Clone Wars is the best thing that Star Wars has done recently, and that's mm-hmm. animated, so I, may, I might just be talking out of my ass, but I, I think that's the big difference is that once they start spreading into different kinds of shows with the Star Trek brand labeled on top of it, people are – you no longer can like – you no longer have a, just a, a blanket fandom that's like, I like Star Trek. Now you have to start saying, "I like Star Trek." That's like this, and you have to start right. detailing more into what what it is. And I think people are mm-hmm. kind of bitter that that's going away.
1: Well, I was thinking just now, because I, I was thinking, "Man, between Discovery, Picard, and uh, Strange New Worlds, at the yeah, Pike show they're the Pike doing. Show. Yep. that's three live action shows all running at the same time. Section thirty-one, but,
2: too.
1: section three. Sure, yeah. Uh, is that happening still? Let's mm-hmm. assume that it is. I think so that got the, four it, happening. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I was like, man, that's crazy, but it actually kind of makes sense if you think about the way that shows work now, because in the 90s, you had 27 episodes a season with like a three months break, and then you're back at it again for 27 more episodes. Yep.
0: and And it was basically it on the air the entire year, really. Yeah.
1: yeah. And you're doing it as cheap as possible, but it still costs a couple dollars to do all this stuff. Now you've got shorter seasons, but episodes that take longer to produce because of all they're so effects heavy. Yeah. So if you're staggering your shows, you can actually maintain that that consistency of, of brand, but you are giving these shows the time that it needs in order to get your shows get things done. Yeah. It's not like it's weird because it's like if it was Doctor Who or if it was Game of Thrones. If there were two years between seasons of Discovery, I mean, I guess there's going to be two years between seasons of yeah, Discovery. Yeah,
0: Corona. They haven't announced a new uh, new season start date yet. It's a long way away. Yeah. But it would be like, I, I feel like it's not as...
1: It doesn't feel as weird because it's something that people are like actively anticipate. I mean, there obviously are people actively anticipating new Discovery. I mean, honestly, I am. I can't, I'm curious to see what they do. Mm-hmm. But... Um, having all these shows to go at the same time, but like staggering the seasons of them kind of makes sense Yeah. because while you finish a season of discovery, then Picard starts up a couple months later and then you've got uh strange new world. So you've got another year, another year and a half that you can work on getting discovery up to snuff for the next season. So it's, 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 it's an interesting tactic. Yeah. Uh, if that's what they're doing, I'd be, I'll be interested to, as they say in dodgeball, it's a bold strategy. Well, let's see if it pays off. <laughs>
0: It's um, it's diversifying content while also not really creating that much more than you would expect during DS9 and Voyager and TNG running yeah. concurrently. It's just it that the, feels a lot when they talk about it. It does
1: because they're yeah. always like Discovery, Lower Decks, Picard, Strange New World, Section Thirty One, Nickelodeon show. That other thing that you said that I don't remember because I wasn't <laughs> aware of it. It's like when you say it all at once. It's like Jesus Christ, give us a your your. You're flooding the market that wasn't really that big to begin with.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, there's much, but more, if they are, much more hype for this stuff. And obviously, we share mm-hmm. the Discord and we have to think about the podcast. So, there is a when a new show is announced, the back of my brain goes, oh, fuck. Like, I have to, <laughs> I have to talk about this show now as well. Um, yeah. And so, there's that kind of negativity to it. And obviously, like, my Twitter and the Discord is based on me, like, following Trek Twitter things and then retweeting whatever they say, which is just endless announcements at uh, this time of the year. Which is definitely more, to be in it as it's happening is definitely different than to look back retroactively at DS9 and Voyager, where we can ignore mm-hmm. any kind of hype or advertising that was going on, and it's just the product that we're looking at. Right, right, um, yeah. This is different in that case. And I'm not, you know, you said Game of Thrones. Would Game of Thrones support a cartoon series if you were to, brand, if you were to branch it out? Star Trek's kind of unique um, in that way. I don't think a Game of Thrones cartoon would work, really. Yeah, I think it depends on the tone. Uh, I like think it's a real dark anime thing, I guess, maybe. But That I, would be cool, actually, yeah. yeah.
1: I, think you, I think it would have to go either, one of those two ways. I think it would have to go either like a dark, intense anime kind of thing. Or Did you see I Castlevania you
0: prob- on Netflix? I didn't. Yeah. I've
1: heard mixed things about it. It's very I, mixed, I, but I, I, I imagine that yeah.
0: style would work. It's very bloody. Yeah. Very like very murderous. Yeah.
1: Yeah. However, I do think, given the fandom around Game of Thrones, I think it would work going the other way as well if you did more of like a like a lower decks thing where it was a little bit more uh, funny and, and
0: <laughs> the of, guys who clean up the horse shed for the people. Yeah. There fighting well, I, each other, you yeah. know,
1: like there's there's a lot of humor baked into the, the yeah. corners of the Game of Thrones universe. I think you could probably. Uh, I mean, if it, just look at how many how many podcasts and shows there are now that are just people playing Dungeons and Dragons. Yep, I think you could probably take Game of Thrones and turn it into a funny cartoon.
0: Agreed. Thank you, patrons, for leaving your thoughts about this one, Shockwave Part One, and the season finale of Enterprise Season One. If you want to support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash thepenskyviolet. it's the best way to do it. I guess we didn't give our ratings yet. We should do that first before I start plugging everything. I'll mention the Patreon again, just in case you skipped that bit. <laughs> um, what are you going to give this one? Uh, I'm going to give it a four. Wow. Yeah. Although I think it's a four for me as well. I don't know why I was surprised yeah. by that. I think it is a. <laughs> I think it is a four. Yeah. It's. A, I give Dear Doctor Unexpected and this one a four on my... My scale. Uh,
1: I don't think this is as good as Dear Doctor, but I think it is for the shows that we've seen up to this point. This is definitely on the better than average. Yeah,
0: side. I'd agree with it. It's top three for me. I think I would put it third after Dear Doctor and Unexpected. Um, yeah, so that, that's fine. It's good to go out with a high note there, I suppose, for Star Trek Enterprise. Mm-hmm. Relative high note. It sounds like we, I guess, we just complained about this one more than I thought we were going to end up giving it a four. But yeah. I did. I do like the first twenty minutes of this one. That felt like Enterprise knowing what it was doing. Really, is my takeaway. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Complaints aside, I think it. I think as an episode of Enterprise, it's pretty good. Yeah. It's. It's a. It's got. It's the beginning is compelling. It gets murky with the the time travel stuff, but it does its job, and it it the last ten minutes or so are are um. Better than not.
0: Yeah. We didn't talk about the action sequence. Do you want to just give any thoughts about the raiding the Suliban ship action sequence? Oh,
1: yeah, uh, eh, it was fine. It, it's it seemed a
0: little. Uh, I don't know. Um, Gratuitous. I mean, I yeah, I that's thing. having to do it. I thought it was extremely. I, I thought it was their best directed action action sequence. I like a lot of the yeah. low camera work as they're running through the the ship. It's uh, it feels like a lot of do about nothing really. Where. Mm-hmm. You know, they get the the disc and they get the hell out of there, and and that's pretty much it. But you know,
1: yeah, it, it's a little bit more of my problem with the episode where it's like, at that point, you don't even know what they're going there to get. Yep. It's just we have to. Oh, we found this thing. We have to break into it. Why? Well, we're not going to tell the audience why, and then they ultimately do. When it's like, oh, all right, I guess. Yep. Use that it's, transporter.
0: Use that. Tra- that's
1: what this. You're not going to
0: beam humans. Beam that thing right off there, Archer yeah you're um you're it's it's a lot of uh
1: putting faith in the audience that the immediate the immediate tone they're giving you by the action they're showing you is gonna keep you engaged more than the reason for any of it if mm-hmm. that makes sense yeah you know what I mean yeah where it's like action sequence well it's a great it's a good looking action sequence hopefully people respond to it and they don't go well what the fuck are the, what are what are they even doing here right. like why What's this
0: thing? Oh, it's a disc. Okay. Yeah. yep. I'd agree. We'll both give it fours. So Enterprise goes out with a high note, which is nice. And uh, we'll be back with season two's opener, which is Shockwave part two, the conclusion to this one. Uh, And then we start off on the 25 or 24 episodes of Enterprise season two, which is a... uh, a mix of things, some interesting things, some not interesting things. But Do you know, do they ever reveal who the shadowy guy is? They do not. Really? Yeah. Never in the whole show. There is some sort of theory. Is it the chef? Or, or Braga floated the idea that it's Archer. Really? Because mm-hmm. my thought was that it was the Admiral. Oh, yeah. he's He's kind of... He's a character who's in it enough that you think this guy's up to something. You know, it's our Arch- exactly. talks yeah. to him enough where you think you could see this guy going bad. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I thought maybe it was some sort of future version of the Admiral or the Admiral operating I'm, from information from future people or something. I'm starting to
0: bring up random things, but like I guess I want to say it before the Enterprise's first season runs out is that um, if I were rewriting the show, as you said, if you were to like draw it and rewrite the show as a comic book. I feel that there is an angle to the Archer sees that Admiral as a kind of father figure mm-hmm. that I don't sure. think they really play into here. Like I, I know Archer has a real father, and his whole sort of motivation for being is that his father was not allowed by the Vulcans to do something, but I'd almost have Archer's dad died while archer was really young or something and this archer is kind of a stand-in for his father in some ways i think i sure. I would reconfigure that a little bit to make that relationship mean something uh more than just archer checks in with this guy all the time about things
1: yeah especially then you'd have the, the element of archer's dad has a legacy that is taught in books school books and stuff like yeah. uh
0: but Archer never knew his and, dad. But Every, everyone knew, know, everyone yeah. knows his dad, but Archer never had a relationship with him. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. All right. Thank you very much, guys. Patreon.com slash The Penske File. Patreon.com slash The Penske File. If you want to support the show, patrons make this possible. We would have stopped five years ago if it wasn't for Patreon. So they are yeah, the reason seriously. this podcast continues. And, uh, Which
1: just goes to show you, some people will do anything, even for a tiny amount of money.
0: That's right. I will debase myself for you all. (laughs) That's what this video function is for. Um, Yeah, Patreon. It's much appreciated. It's the great, uh, the best way to support the show, and we appreciate it greatly. And keeps everything Mm -hmm. else going too. Let's see here. I think that's it. Uh, I don't have anything else to say about this. We'll have the recap video at some point before the next episode, which is Shockwave. So you have a little bit of a break. Uh, Thx one one three eight is the Patreon content this month, and I'm going to be doing a commentary track for a measure of time is that the one it's the tng episode where the guy from the future comes back and tells everybody that he, or the guy from the past comes back and he tells everybody's from the future uh clay do you have anything you want to say uh
1: we got a new episode of a rotten heart picture show it came out this past week uh we covered david Cronenberg's the fly and this week we have fire from olympus and read my lips from the badass podcast i was wrong last episode i thought it was bullet for bullock and trial but that's the next episode uh, Read my lips is, is a good one. It's uh, the first appearance of Scarface, the puppet.
0: No, oh. who who holds the puppet? Uh, a character named the ventriloquist. Oh, okay, <laughs> no, that's totally out of left field. Um. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's a good, it's a really good episode, though. It's it's a, it's a it's two two episodes where uh, one is a rich guy who thinks he's the Greek god Zeus, and then the next one is a gangster puppet. Uh, operated by a uh, mousy ventriloquist. And in both episodes, there are moments where Batman's just sort of like, oh, okay.
0: (laughs) They're like, uh, these villains in Gotham are just like mice in a house. It's just, you just keep coming. It's like, this is, yeah,
1: they just get weirder and weirder. Yep.
0: Yep. So check out badass, check out run horror picture show and stay subscribed to this one, the star Trek podcast. That's it. We're done with season one. We'll be back with a recap to formally wrap up season one. And after that, we'll be on to season two. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you for supporting the show. See ya.